0: Thanks for listening to coverage of the Society of Environmental Journalists Annual Conference 2019 in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks to all our members and supporters for making this possible. For more information on this and other sessions, look for the 2019 conference agenda at sej.org. This recording starts after the session has already begun. So, we
1: will break here, and I'm going to give you a few statistics on freedom of information. Uh, As you might guess, these are... uh, slides prepared by our uh, um, panelist Adam Marshall from the Reporters Committee for Freedom of the Press, but their data that basically comes from public record, it's all publicly available, Uh, and uh, and it sort of shows you how the FOIA trend has been running lately. The total number of requests received, as you can see, has been going up rather inexorably, um, from 600,000 in 2010 to Almost 900,000 in fiscal 18, so this is a a year old already. The data sort of come in a year after the fact. These are the backlogs. Uh, When Adam gets with us, maybe he can tell us why there was a spike in backlogs in fiscal 2014, but they've been sort of creeping up also. And then these are the appeals. Those are part of the process, and and our next panel is going to explain this a little bit. If you're rejected, your request is rejected, you can appeal it um, before you have to decide whether you want to hire a lawyer and go to court. And this shows that there has been a growth in appeals as well. One of the uh, departments that has the most appeals is the Department of Interior, I believe, if the statistics I saw are correct. And this is uh, some data on uh, the way those, pro- those requests are processed. Less than half, well here it says 44% of all were denied in part or in full on the basis of an exemption. There are a series of exemptions in there that authorize them to deny things. Um, we will explain that a little bit more later. But in the old days, and I'm not quite that old, but I'm back from the old days, very few got denied very few it 's almost flipped the screen now, and as I said, you can appeal and if you 're still denied, which is often the case, you can t- take them to court, you can file lawsuits, and you see here that the trend has been up again and quite a bit and there are the Department of Interior lawsuits, which have also grown so this is um, you know this is sort of the the, the picture we 're seeing here. Uh, More FOIA requests filed Uh, is perhaps not surprising in this administration that we've seen this. Uh, Department of Interior, in asking for proposing a new regulation that would allow them to reject more FOIA requests, cited an exponential growth in FOIA requests filed and their inability to process them all in a timely manner. So their proposed regulation would allow them to decide that uh, your request was too burdensome and to reject it outright. We happen to think that's not in the spirit or the letter of the law, and we filed comments objecting to it. And here also at the EPA, the lawsuits have spiked. Uh, 2018 was the time when Scott Pruitt was still administrator. In, In both of those cases, the big jump in FOIA requests there was concentrated around the administrator and the secretary's offices, but there were increases across the board. And as I think I mentioned to you, the, uh, the EPA has uh, proposed a regulation, which they described as basically a housekeeping regulation on how they were going to handle FOIA requests. But again, it contained language in it that appeared to give political appointees uh, more say in which requests would be de- determined to, not to be granted because they could not find uh, records pertinent to your request. Um, and that's an unappealable decision. So it was. A, seemed like a backdoor way to deny FOIA requests with little opportunity for appeal. So that's the trend sort of in FOIA. And we'll talk a little bit more also about the, uh, the issue that I raised with uh, Acting Administrator Pendley. Um, we've all seen a, a growth in the uh, – well, there's Adam. Hi, Adam. Can we get him on the screen? Yeah. the wonders of modern technology. It's a beautiful thing. All right, does he, uh, do you need the HDMI for that? So, yeah,
0: that's, okay. I mean, I
1: could, yes, I do. Why don't we, Adam, if you don't mind, we're gonna let uh, the others present their slides and then we'll get you on and we'll all talk together.
0: He said sounds great, I had you muted. Oh,
1: okay, all right. There we go. All right. Okay, so we're gonna uh, switch now to Jimmy who can tell you a little bit about his experiences with FOIA. Jimmy Tobias, independent uh, journalist, and, um, and maybe also give you some tips on maybe how you can uh, fight the tide. Hey,
2: everybody. My name's Jimmy. I'm an independent reporter. I mostly work for The Guardian and The Nation magazine, and formerly Pacific Standard, rest in peace. Um... Uh, But, yeah, for the last couple years, I've been doing a lot of FOIA-based reporting, primarily at the Interior Department and its sub-agencies, like the Bureau of Land Land Management. Um, And before I get into this, I just want to kind of get a sense of the room. Who here has ever filed a FOIA request? Okay. Mm -hmm. Who here files, like, at least a request a month? Who here files, like, multiple requests a week? Anybody okay yeah, great, awesome, um, cool, all right, yeah, my goal today is basically just to convince you to file like a shit ton of FOIA requests um, <laughs> all the time for the sake of your stories, for the sake of your readers, and for the sake of the law because it um, it 's sort of like a user to lose it thing, and we 're seeing all these attacks on the law and and so the more people using it, the greater the constituency that can defend it and is paying attention, and you know the, the more people understand its value. Um, so, oh, great, maybe I'll try the mouse. Last time we had a little trouble with this PowerPoint slide, but this time we're not gonna have any trouble. There we go. Yeah, so document-based reporting, you know, harder to undermine or assail, and obviously a lot of people are trying to undermine and assail our profession right now. Um, can lead to all kind of great scoops, and the most important thing to know about it, I think, is like it's actually pretty easy. There's lots of frustrations. There's lots of things about it that can be difficult, but to actually just file a request is not hard. It's as easy as sending an email or texting your friends or or you know calling a source. And I use the website MuckRock, um, and it's sort of an automated platform. It's really great for helping you uh, keep track of your requests. It's you know, you you basically like type in what you're looking for in a box. It kind of makes the request for you, and um, and it sends it off to the agency. And so, um, I'm just going to talk about one of my requests to kind of illustrate how easy and amazing it can be. So, one of my I started filing FOIs in October 2017. Before that, I hadn't really done a ton. And one of my very first was to the Interior Department. Um, Trying to get the calendar of this guy named Doug Dominic, and Doug Dominic is a very powerful political appointee at the agency. Very few people know him, but he's an assistant secretary there now. He's also David Bernhardt's best personal friend. He's Meghan McCain's father-in-law. He's like deeply tied into the Republican world, and so I wanted to see who he was meeting with and just get a sense of his like day-to-day. Um, and so eventually, like I don't know, maybe like six months later, I got his calendar. Um, and I saw on his calendar that he had met with this group, the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And this is, I'm, this is just all from his calendar, you know? It's not the, a very difficult request. And he used to, right before joining the Trump administration, he had worked for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. They'd paid him hundreds of thousands of dollars. And he invited his, his former colleagues in to talk about a couple lawsuits they were pursuing against the Interior Department, his own agency. And so it was just like a very blatant, obvious, um, kind of corrupt behavior, behavior, or so it seemed. So I published a story about it. um, And the story, along with some of Chris's stories from HuffPo, ended up leading to an ethics complaint by this um, campaign legal center. Um, And then that complaint led to a federal investigation into Dominic and some of his colleagues. And it was all just based on his, and at least in the case of Dominic, it was just based on these two calendar entries that came from a FOIA request that I filed like the month I started filing FOIA requests. So, that just gives you a sense like the law it can be so powerful um, and it can uncover things that have a real impact. And so, you know, I'm still c- covering this story just in August. I got more documents. You know, after, and this is something I want to talk about in a second, but you can got to build on your FOIA request. So, I got his calendars. I saw that he had met with this group. So, then I filed FOIA request for all his emails with this group and all this other stuff came out. And so, I, you know, I wrote. Um, one of my last articles for Pacific Standard was about, like, how he had not only had he had these meetings with these people, he'd actually invited them in, he'd given them a tour, he encouraged them to file more lawsuits. He was just, it was, it was a mess. Um, so, that's like a hopeful little tidbit about FOIA. Um, and in terms of like the nuts and bolts, and so some of the things I've learned in my adventure with this law. Um, the first thing is just to ask for the basics, calendars. Like when I ta- asked William uh, Perry Pendley today about his, my FOIA request for his stuff, mostly I want to see like, who he's meeting with, I want to see his calendars, and that should be simple to get, but it's not right now. Um, but you yeah, ask for calendars, ask for emails, ask for text messages, things like that, keywords. Um, get ideas from headlines from your sources within the agencies. They're super helpful. A lot of times they'll be like, you should request this, you should request that. Um, if you see something in the news in the morning, whatever, and it kind of peaks your interest, just file a FOIA request. It's as easy as texting your friend. You know. <laughs> um, you can look at what, what other people are requesting. Um, every agency has a FOIA log, so you can go on the FOIA log, see what other people are interested in. Maybe that'll give you some ideas. Maybe you'll also request it. Um, and the most important thing is just constantly be filing new FOIAs. I try to file 20 to 30 FOIAs a month. So that's like almost one a day. Um, And if you're doing it at that rate, you're going to get stuff, even though a lot of the stuff you most want, you know, they'll they'll probably slow walk it. They'll probably kind of, you know, take as long as possible to get it to you. But even, you know, as long as you're constantly filing stuff, you're going to get some some good stuff in there. Um, FOIA officers, the people, the civil servants who actually work at these agencies are the good guys. They're your friends most of the time. You want to kind of make nice with them. You want to be in touch with them, you want to send them emails, hop on the phone with them. The people who are usually kind of undermining the law are the political appointees, like Mr. Pendley and his friends. Um, Then there's this thing called layering, um, and it's just sending the same request, basically, to a lot of different agencies. So this is an example I used on Wednesday when we talked about this. Say, hypothetically, you have a corporate lobbyist who has become the secretary of the interior and is trying to roll back salmon protections in California to benefit his former lobbying clients. You know, just a hypothetical. <laughs> so you send a request to the Interior Department headquarters You sent for his communications around it. You send a request to some of his deputies for their communications around it. You send a request to the Fish and Wildlife Service um, headquarters in Washington for their communications. You send a request to the regional office, Fish and Wildlife Service office in California for their communications, so you just try to work all the levels of government, and often the regional offices and the local offices are more responsive than the you know political headquarters, where they've they're kind of wise to what's to FOIA. Um, and then the other thing is getting a good lawyer, if you can. I'm an independent reporter; I don't work for a, like a specific newsroom. So, and in some ways, that has made me lucky because these great attorneys in Chicago took me on on a pro bono pro bono basis. And we filed five lawsuits against the Interior Department in the last year and a half. And it's made a big difference. Um, But try to, you know, if you're working in a newsroom, try to convince the attorneys there of the importance of filing FOIA lawsuits, because they make a difference. You shouldn't have to. I mean, the law should work better than than that. But it's kind of where we are right now. So if you can sue, um, you increase the pressure on them to actually respond, and you'll get results. Um, Just last couple slides. There's exemptions to the law. And the agencies, especially nowadays, um, have become very liberal about applying the exemptions. And they don't want to give you information. Um, And a lot of times, they're applying the exemptions in an illegitimate way. So always, always, always appeal. for example, I just got a FOIA request back from the Fish and Wildlife Service in uh, Arizona that it, I was trying to get a sense of uh, kind of their communications around the immigrant rights group No More Death, um, No More Deaths, and they said they withheld all these documents, and so I appealed, just saying under the law you have to segregate um, any information that's releasable. you have to release it. So, like these, you know. Withholding these entire documents is illegitimate. We'll see if it works out. It's kind of like an experiment. Um, and that's it for now. Okay. I'll pass it off to Tim.
1: Yeah. One more second. Uh, here we
2: go. Thank
1: you. Um, and we'll talk a little bit more about prono, pro bono legal help uh, when Adam comes on. And now Tim Whitehouse. You going to come around here? Okay. I'll like if that's okay. Sure. Let me get them set up for
3: So my name is uh, Tim Whitehouse. I'm the Executive Director of Public Employees for Environmental Responsibility. And um, how many of you have heard of us, Pierre? Okay, good. Means we're doing our job. So it was similar to the last session I was in. You can go to the next slide. So we, so PEER uh, works with uh, public employees uh, at the local, state, tribal, federal level. Um, most of them are current employees working within the government, but we also work with retired employees. Uh, they'd be a great source for, um, for those of you in the news business and reporters. And we're known as a, a group that blows the whistle, that watchdogs, that shines the lights on different issues. Um, We're different than other groups, and they were largely intake-driven, meaning when we're working on a project, we're working with public employees, and we're working usually, not always, but usually anonymously. So we um, were very much a FOIA-driven organization. Uh, After Judicial Watch, ACLU appears the third most, files the most uh, lawsuits under FOIA since uh, 2001. So we have um, currently three attorneys that work uh, most of their time on FOIA issues. Next slide. So uh, Jimmy talked about layering. And we call it you know needles versus haystacks. So when we send a FOIA out that's really broad, um, we will get thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of documents. And we're just overwhelmed. Um, so if we do the FOIAs wrong, we get so much information, we can't determine what's. Important in there. So um, we really look for the custodians or the insiders to help us uh, narrowly tailor the FOIAs to the greatest extent possible, which allows us to move through a lot of information quickly. Um, We also, um, again, as Jimmy said, we submit FOIAs to uh, different agencies or different parts of the agencies or state or regional field offices of the agencies, identical FOIAs or slightly different FOIAs. I'll also add in if there's any state involvement or local government involvement, be sure to FOIA them too. Um, And litigate, it's absolutely important that you uh, let them know you will litigate, you will appeal uh, and don't give them a date by which you'll do it, just say very soon. Uh, Next slide. So we're all working in a context of um, collapsing federal transparency. And so when we see the, the FOIA lawsuits going way up and the, um, the number of FOIAs, I feel very sorry for the, uh, the professional staff, the civil servants. Uh, but I don't really feel sorry for the political appointees because they're really bringing this on themselves. Um, and so we see veiled. Decision-making, uh, you know, extreme politicization of the process, which makes FOIAs very difficult. We're seeing, we, we hear a lot about decentralization, but that's not what's going on. It's centralization, uh, decision-making processes, in all the agencies are being made by a few people, usually important ones at the uh, headquarters level. And uh, DOI, this is particularly causes problems because we have so many acting people that have never uh, been through Senate approval, and their authorities are very muddied. Uh, Oftentimes, we believe they're making decisions that they don't have the legal authority to make. Uh, And so in previous administrations, whether it's Republican or Democrat, you can pretty much look at an organizational chart and figure out where you need to focus your, your energy, and it's getting much more difficult. There's a lack of paper trails. Um, I think you've all come across that. Um, you know, we see the weaponization of the agencies for partisan political purposes. You know, the most recent is EPA's interactions with the state of California. Uh, again, that makes uh, FOIAs difficult because everything is politicized and um, often considered predecisional. decisional uh, So decisions that are made on policies are really political decisions. And we see um, special interest dominating. So we see a lot of the decision making being made, um, as Jimmy pointed out in his instance, uh, based upon personal relationships with political appointees and their former employers or the special interest groups. They're sort of made in backroom, off the record ways, which, again, makes it difficult uh, if you're sending a FOIA. So there are two, two examples I offer there. Uh, One is the extractive industries, which we all know about. A more recent one was e-bikes, if you're familiar with that, um, where the agency decided to change a regulation through a memo. Um, So also, with collapsing uh, federal transparency, again, we've heard about the political control over the release of records. So I have been talking to federal employees about certain FOIAs. And they provide the initial screening. It leaves their hands, and they never see it again. So they don't know what happens when they send it over to the political arm of the agencies. We also see um, uh, the agencies not releasing records. This is happening a lot um, that they should release. Uh, We know they should release it. Since we're often working internally with government employees, we have to protect their um, desires to be confidential. So we're just um, more and more aware of some of the fraud that's occurring in the federal government. And we have just so many FOIs out there now um, that we're really not working uh, with agencies that are playing honest um, with the public. So there's, you know, we, we release documents that people give us. Uh, we released probably the best known were 11 sort of studies from the Department of Interior on the Arctic, which happened, I think, on my first day up here in March, um, that organizations had sent FOIAs asking for certain information, and uh, Interior did not release or even acknowledge that information, and someone inside of Interior gave that to us, so we released it to the public. So the other thing is the avoiding uh, creating a paper trail. So we had an interesting case, and it's important not to let the agencies get away with this, where Scott Pruitt had a Superfund task force. And this great task force came up with recommendations. And people didn't really know much about this task force, so we sent a FOIA asking for the records, like who was on this task force, you know, where were their decisions, their agendas, all that kind of stuff. And they responded that, well, they're, they don't have any records, you know, this was sort of all kind of informal. And there was, they had members, but they wouldn't reveal the criteria for selecting the members of this task force. Um, And so we sued under the Federal Records Act. Um, So this is something important to keep in mind when the agency's telling you they don't have records is to figure out, well, if they should, then you should sue them. Um, And so, when um, they settled at the, the last moment, um, but the Federal Records Act is a collection of statutes which ensures that there is documentation for policies that the federal government's making. Um, so they're not supposed to just go off and cut these deals um, with their you know, constituents or their friends or their economic interests. So that's a powerful tool to think about if you're not getting a response. Uh, I wanted to offer a case example of what we're seeing, uh, how the system's getting bogged down. We're seeing a lot of this. So in August, uh, I sent a FOIA to an EPA region, since it's ongoing, I won't say, and we were asking for a subset of enforcement inspection numbers in a certain state. Now, we know for a fact that it would take the agency about a minute to download that information and send it to us. Um, It was part of the Drinking Water Act, a subset of that. So we've spent numerous uh, phone calls and emails describing for them what we meant by enforcement and what we meant by inspections. And on some of these emails, there are literally 14 people carbon copied within the agency. Um, So this took a lot of time. And uh, just a couple days ago, I got a letter from them fail, saying we failed to demonstrate the request would likely contribute significantly to public understanding of the operations or activities of the government. So what that means is they denied our fee waiver. We'll have to um, pay for it. And uh, you know we had written about 225 words in the uh, application about why this was in the public interest. So what's gonna happen is we're gonna go rewrite that and submit it where we'll sort of employ our rhetorical skills that we're so good at and we'll appeal it and we'll win. But it'll be another 30 or 60 days. If we lose on administrative appeal, we'll sue and we'll win because they've released this information before. Um, So we're just seeing a deliberate effort uh, in the federal government and many agencies to make sure that information that used to be readily available uh, is no longer available. And that's all, thanks.
1: Uh, All right, we are ready to bring Adam in from the ether.
0: Can everyone hear me?
1: Yes, we can. Okay, Adam, welcome.
3: You should.
1: All right. So we've just uh, finished having uh, presentations from uh, all of our panel, uh, and Adam, I presented your slides on the trends in FOIA. Uh, depressing, though they are. Um, I guess uh, you know would start. You know, since you're, you've just joined us, if you could tell tell me, are there are, are, are things in in regard to FOIA as depressing as the data look, or are there some bright spots there? <laughs>
3: um, I, I think they are
0: quite depressing, actually. Uh, you know, I, I would say that the bright spots are lawsuits, uh, and the number of lawsuits, um, but uh, in that there are groups, including a lot of journals that are willing to sue and have um, but the capacity But it's also indicative, of course, of a problem. Um, the fiscal year just wrapped up uh, about a week ago, and uh, when the numbers come out for 2019, I think things are gonna be much worse even than they were in 2018, um, doing no small part to the government shutdown um, and and all other kinds of uh, shenanigans that have been happening uh, along the way. Uh, so uh, I'm, I'm not very optimistic about the state of FOIA. I, I feel like for the first year or two of the current administration, um, you know, FOIA wasn't given a lot of attention and then things started coming out and, and now we see that uh, FOIA's been given a lot of attention uh, by political appointees, um, most in a negative way as, as people. Uh, have this to ask, including the uh, uh, change or proposed rule changes at Interior and EPA. Uh, the Reporters Committee and a, a large coalition of news media organizations strongly objected to those. Um, and so far they haven't gone into effect, I just checked this morning, um, but I, I really don't have a lot of hope that, uh, that there are going to be significant revisions that, based on the comments. So uh, the state of FOIA is, is a little, a little grim So we're going to have to keep pushing, I guess. Well,
1: I I will tell you that I uh, had a chance to speak with Mr. Pendley's uh, press handler out in the hallway afterwards, and she assured me they're working to streamline the FOIA process. (laughs) Uh,
0: You know, you know, I I will say actually one small uh, bright spot is um, there's a good article today in Courthouse News, actually, uh, that a number of federal judges here in DC Um, are getting increasingly frustrated with agencies. Um, And uh, one judge has actually ordered uh, the Department of Justice to start justifying why things are taking so long. Um, So he's ordered them to uh, tell the court how many attorneys they have working on things, how many uh, full-time staff they have working on FOIA requests, whether they have been making uh, requests to Congress for increased funding uh, for processing FOIAs. and a couple other judges have started to really uh, uh, not not just accept blindly agencies' uh, suggestions that they can only process so many records uh, per month, but making them produce evidence to back that up. So I do think, in part, because of the massive increase in FOIL suits, <laughs> um, judges are uh, you know getting increasingly skeptical of the agency claims. Um, so I, I think that's a minor bright spot. Okay, I see. I see. Uh, let's turn and pivot for
1: a moment now to talk about access issues. Uh, you know, reporters are having an increasingly difficult time getting interviews with federal officials. Uh, and I'm not talking about the politicals. We had an exchange with uh, William Penley, the acting BLM director, where I called him on that and he said, well, I, I just gave an interview to the Washington Post, um, but what we're finding is that we can't talk to anybody below the political level. Uh, one without a minder uh, approving it, and even the minders are basically being told not to uh, uh, not to set up interviews or answer questions without approval from the politicals. Uh, what is it that can be done about that? You all, not not you start, and then I'm gonna ask the others
0: on the panel. Can you hear me? Oh, is that for me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> You're the <a> lawyer. <laughs> Um, so uh, I, I would actually um, point people towards a really interesting uh, report that was just put out by the Breckner Center um, in Florida addressing um, the legal issues around PIOs, uh, public information officers, um, and restrictions on uh, government employees uh, speaking to members of the press, um, uh, you know, in, you know, and, and the policies and, and all the procedures and things that go along with that. Um, the, the, by and large, the upshot of that is that the, the First Amendment does place restrictions on what governments can do in terms of putting, uh, in terms of restricting their employees talking with members of the press. Um, the specific uh, nature of the, those protections uh, varies a little bit depending upon the circumstances and what the uh, public employees talking about, um, but uh, uh, there are a number of instances in which courts have struck down broad uh, restrictions on public employees talking about matters of public concern. Um, And the Breckner Center paper is really interesting because it goes through and and outlines these um, and uh, sets forth some strategies that news media can Perhaps implement uh, legal strategies to try to challenge some of these. The trick in a lot of these cases, though, is finding someone who, so finding a government employee who's going to be a willing speaker. Um, There are some cases in which NewsMeet have tried to challenge uh, these kinds of policies generally, Um, and the courts have said, well, you know, that's great, but you haven't identified any employee who's actually going to speak to you. Uh, so I think one of the challenges for us um, as members and representatives of the news media is identifying uh, willing speakers um, as as part of our thinking about how to go about challenging uh, these these policies. Okay, thank you, Adam.
1: Uh, Tim uh, White House. You uh, have members who are public employees. Uh, you had a chance to look at this report. Do you think any of them are going to be willing speakers who will be willing to go to court?
3: Uh, but I think there are protections that we, we now learn we need. We can't rely on the executive branch. Um, you know, there are different parts of legislation in Congress. Of course, they, they have no chance this year, but there's a Scientific Integrity Act that will allow the scientists participating in government-funded studies to speak publicly about their findings. Um so there are different things that we took for granted that I think we may need to, in the future, look um, to legislate uh, to guarantee some of these rights within the government. Because the employees, even, even if they um, you know, want to speak, right now, they're, they're not. many of them won't because it's, uh, it causes severe career issues.
1: Okay, so you think there's there's more of a political solution than a legal one to this particular problem. What is it that we can do to get around this stonewalling, this censorship by PIO, or just political stonewalling that we have? Jimmy, do you have any uh, thoughts about, have you been able to, to work any magic that you can share with us?
2: Well, I, th- I think FOIA is a possible workaround. Like, if you you know, if there are employees who you're not being allowed to speak to, you know, but if you can get in touch with them on background, maybe they can give you information. You know, they can give you ideas about how to get the information you're looking for in a different way, either through a leak or through a FOIA request. And, you know, because usually what they want, you know, usually in cases like this, what the employees want to talk about is some, you know, bad action by their superiors. Um, and usually those things are documented in one form or another. So, I don't know. Okay. I guess that's... About it. Uh, that brings to mind a very ancient episode that I had back in the good
1: old days of FOIA, where a, uh, an employee in the uh, Federal Highway Administration put a memo in the file that, you know, God forbid we shouldn't let Tim Wheeler see this. So uh, I knew to f- FOIA that particular document. <laughs> Tim, what? Uh, um, just a quick question yeah. about uh, we just uh, Wait a minute. you got to identify yourself. I'm sorry. Right. Uh, it seems uh, like there Hang on. Me. So the question is we have to repeat the questions it's, to be, keep it all on the record. Yeah, I know you did, but we got to get it in the record here. The question is, if I recall correctly, was um, that, you know, what is there that between the lack of written policy uh, or instructions or regulation, barring them from speaking, allegedly, allegedly and uh, this evident uh, freedom to do so that we could somehow use in order to open up communication with government staff. Do you have any thoughts? Uh, Adam, first. Uh,
0: that's a really tough uh, issue, uh, no doubt. Um, I think, you know, most of the legal challenges to these policies or, uh, uh, or, or restrictions on uh, public employee speaking come when the employee is punished and or retaliated against in some way. And then they, you know, file an action against the government, um, either a, a 1983 action or some kind of employment-related uh, action, hmm. uh, to try to uh, clear up, you know, their their own rights and their own legal
1: status. Okay. Yep. Um, so the fear of fear of being retaliated against, uh, informally, uh, getting sent to Siberia, uh, given no work to do. Uh, in some way, shape, or form uh, could could occur even though they wouldn't take an official disciplinary action against you. Tim, is there another workaround? Are there other entities that one could turn to 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 sort of get information on the the QT? Uh,
3: In addition to what uh, Adam said, uh, is I would look at the alumni associations, the alt groups, you know, if you're interested in digging deep into a federal agency, to build up your contacts and networks that way. Um, but certainly we're in an environment where people who um, would have talked a few years ago won't talk. We're also in an environment, say at EPA, where access to certain databases, which were largely open to you know maybe a couple hundred people, are being restricted severely. So even among employees, there's less information out there. So I'm going to ask uh, Adam
1: to, to take a few minutes uh, and then we're going to open it up to questions uh, all around uh, to describe the reporters committee has a, a, an interesting new uh, initiative, a local legal initiative, where they are prepared to offer free legal help in a, a, a handful of states um, to begin with uh, f- to try to work on some of these issues. Adam, you want to explain it?
0: Yeah, thanks so much. Um, So uh, I do litigation uh, here at the Reporters Committee. Um, We've been talking about the necessity of of litigation when it comes to public records cases. Um, That's pretty much all I do here. Um, I've been doing it for the last five years, um, pretty much commensurate with the time that the Reporters Committee started uh, litigating uh, public records and access cases uh, around the country. Um, So over the last five years, we've built up our docket kind of mostly at the, at the national level. Um, uh, but also, you know, doing some, some state and local things. And we have a really exciting new initiative where starting in 2020, we are going to take, uh, our, our legal firepower and, and concentrate it in some states around, uh, the country. So for the first time, uh, in the reports Committee's 50 year history or so, we are going to be hiring attorneys in up to five uh, jurisdictions across the country. Um, Those attorneys will essentially do what we do now through the Works Committee. They will provide training. They will provide uh, hotline uh, information for reporters. Um, They will litigate cases, uh, probably access cases, um, either uh, state public records cases or court access cases, or to the extent that there are Uh, you know, federal FOIA issues that affect a particular state, and I think there are a lot of uh, environmental issues where that is the case, Um, you know, it's it's possible that those attorneys might litigate uh, federal FOIA cases as they pertain to uh, a particular state. Um, The reporters' committee provides all of its uh, legal, uh, or the reports committee attorneys, I should say, provide all of their legal representation for free, um, and uh, we've helped out a lot of uh, journalists all across the country gain uh, access to records. So it's something that we're really, really excited about. Um, for those of you who are interested in the process and how we're going to basically make decisions, we're inviting jurisdictions to basically submit a proposal for their entire state uh, or you know, perhaps Puerto Rico uh, if you're there, or, or DC. Um, so we are encouraging people in different states to work together to submit joint proposals. Um, the people who are submitting the proposal are kind of advocating on behalf of their own uh, state. So if we decide to, uh, to hire an attorney there, they're not gonna work exclusively with those people, uh, they'll work with people across the state. But they're certain, certainly going to be looking to the people making the application uh, as to be the kind of initial partners in that state. Uh, so between now and let's see, October 31st, midnight, uh, is, uh, the rest of the application process. If you all have questions about whether someone is kind of already taking the lead and submitting an application for your state, let me know. Um, and I can connect you with whoever is, uh, is doing that. But we really want to see, um, as, uh, like I said, as collaborative and, uh, and and joint proposals as possible. Second, include not only freelancers um, and newsrooms, but also maybe nonprofit newsrooms, uh, legal clinics, other good government groups, um, really anyone who is committed to seeing uh, investigative and enterprise journalism uh, drop. Okay. So that is the the kind of basic contours of the program. We're gonna be making uh, decisions in November and December, um, hopefully hiring attorneys. And the goal is to get started in uh, early 2020 um, with attorneys in in up to five uh, states. So we're really excited about it. Um, If you have questions about it, uh, you can always email or DM me or call me or whatever. Um, And all of the information, including FAQs and the application process itself are available at rcfp.org forward slash local. So rcfp.org, um, and yeah, submit something
1: by Halloween. Uh, by so there you have it. You got a little over two weeks to get your, your application in for the big prize of a free legal help for a year. All right, so thank you, Adam. Um, we're gonna open it up now for questions. Uh, and I wanna just sort of state the ground rules under SCJ policy. SCJ members, working journalists, get priority. Um, If all those people's questions are answered in the time period allowed, if you're not one of those groups, then you may be able to ask a question. When I call on you, please identify yourself and make your question as uh, brief and to the point
2: as possible. Try to avoid uh, a long-winded setup for it. Okay, right here. Um, The question was, you know, when you're talking to sources uh, who might be guiding you, in your FOIA requests, um, you, you know, in their, on background, do I use Signal and are people more sort of comfortable if I do? I do use Signal sometimes. Um, encryption software. It's an encryption software, like a texting app and calling app on your phone. I do sometimes use Signal, but most of the time, it's just phone calls, you know, on off, on the weekends when, the, you know, the person's not in the office or maybe at night and just... They'll walk me through what's happening. And, and also to David's question, like, I think one of the ways things are going down is that there's like a lot of harassment inside the agencies and kind of bullying behavior towards employees. They're shut out of databases, and you know, like the BLM relocation is like the ultimate like, scare tactic. Who's going to want to talk if they think they might get shipped to Grand Junction, you know?: <laughs> <laughs> No offense to Grand <laughs> Junction. <laughs> All right.
1: Next question. Right here. Okay, the question is, is there uh, any kind of in-person guidance, mentoring uh, uh, advice or tips or helps that you can get for filing FOIAs? Case specific? Yeah, one-on-one. Right. Well, uh, does anybody know of any? Uh, Adam, are you all equipped to do that? Uh,
0: So, I'll say one thing that we have here is our hotline that you can call. the, we are because we are attorneys. We are a little limited in terms of what we can do through the hotline. So we can provide information um, and and help you understand the law and various aspects of it. Um, we we cannot give legal advice. Um, you know, absent an attorney-client.
1: Okay, I think you you're looking more for advice on how to word the the letter. Is that right? Yeah. yeah
0: we, so we don't, for example, um, we can't review like drafts and, and say, oh, you should do this, you should not do this. Um, uh, we can we can certainly help you though uh, with a lot of the questions. I mean, people often have questions about the specificity, right? like how how much detail do I have to give uh, in my request? Right. Um, you know, that's the type of thing where there are actually there's actually a lot of case law, um, so we can put you like probably pretty close to the area where you need to be in terms of understanding. Um, I'll also say, um, someone mentioned Muck earlier, which is a great uh, resource. Um, I highly recommend that. The Reporters Committee also has a FOIA submission system called iFOIA um, that can help you, walk you through the process of filing a FOIA. It also asks you, you know, just some basic information then it fills in all the legal sites, which is nice. And we also have the FOIA Wiki, which is our federal FOIA resource, um, which has all kinds of information, including sample requests. Um, and administrative
1: appeals on it. So check out uh, the FOIA. So Robin, the only other thing I could offer you is uh, as head of our really high powered task force um, <laughs> is if you have a specific issue uh, with filing, uh, we can canvas the membership and see if there's somebody who could give you advice. I mean, I know one of the things in, in, in FOIAs I've filed, I've found it useful to look at the logs and see what previous FOIA requests how they were worded, and see what they got. Um, and you might actually find there that there's some of the information you're looking for that's already been released, which helps. But but no, seriously, reach out to me, uh, and we can perhaps uh, help you. And and you know, obviously, not disclose what you're looking for.
2: Yeah. I have oh. three quick. Go ahead. Some very quick things. Um, Muckrock's great. They have a ton of like Q and A's. They like sometimes they have sessions where they'll take Q and A's. That's how I met the lawyers that represent me. Like there's tons of resources on there that are really really helpful, um, and you can kind of explore. Uh, another thing is calling the FOIA officers and asking. I mean they're like great, and they can help you kind of think about what you wanna. Um, look for and what you want to word. And then a lot of states have like info centers for their laws, and sometimes you can call them. So those three things are all good. And YouTube has some good videos.
1: Okay. Good. All right, let's see. Question here. OK, so the question is, can you FOIA uh, government contractors to uh, find out about the work they do for the government?
3: Great point. You should definitely FOIA the agency they're um, working for and ask for the contract to start with maybe it's something very simple and then build from there um because ultimately i think most of those will be agency records although they may not immediately think that
2: also figure out who their lobbyists are and FOIA for their comms with like the political appointees in the department or something like that adam any
0: ideas uh yeah i mean obviously uh the the contractors themselves are not going to be subject to FOIA in the same way, although there may be some pushing Congress to change this. Um, I, I do think going for the, the contract and forming the agency for communications and such is such a great way to start. Mm-hmm. Um, an unfortunate uh, uh, new development in FOIA that I'm sure is actually going to affect a lot of you, of all is the Supreme Court's recent decision in a case called Food Marketing, or Argus Leader versus Food
1: Marketing right, that's Institute,
0: right. uh, which concerns exemption for which covers, among other things, trade secrets and proprietary uh, commercial information. Uh, the Supreme Court, unfortunately, uh, greatly broadens the scope of the commercial information problem of Exemption 4. Um, so I would expect that, uh, especially if you're foreign agencies for uh, information submitted by third parties, uh, especially companies, um, there's gonna be a lot more Exemption 4 cited. Uh, One strategy for combating that um, is actually to make sure that agencies are complying with the foreseeable harm standard, um, which is another even newer kind of uh, development in in FOIA. Uh, I think that uh, we have some strategies and thoughts about how reporters can leverage the foreseeable harm standard to feedback this kind of expansion of exemptions before. Uh, so if people are interested, let me know. I just wrote like a bunch of American briefs on this
1: exact topic, uh, and I'm very happy to share with them. Yeah. Okay. Let's see. Right back here. So the question is, um, uh, in one particular case, requests for texts were, were denied because they said they didn't have the software. Are, are texts uh, uh, retrievable? Is that the basic question? Do they have the ability to retrieve them? Uh, and I guess I would add to that question, do they have the right not to retrieve them? Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: yeah, and maybe this is like a federal records thing, but like I, th- I, I think they have the ability. I've seen texts often like they're screenshots or something that they send you in PDF form. Um, one question is, like, are they using these like self-deleting apps? That's always something to do for your agency. Like, text, text for screenshots of the political appointees' phones and for all the apps on their phone, and see if they have any kind of these, like, signal or self-deleting apps. Because if they're deleting their texts, then that I, I think that's against the law.
3: If they're self-deleting, they have a backup. They do. Uh, they, they may not be visible anymore, but there's a backup. Um, so if, if you send a, a really broad FOIA for, you know, every scientist's text, I don't know what the FOIA was, but yeah, if it's a very narrow focused, then because people conduct business by text, um, you should insist that they go and do the labor to get the text messages. We've gotten lots of text messages. We've got a FOIA with about 5,000 pages of documents from one person's text, which were very revealing.
2: And I saw William Pendley texting today, so FOIA for what he was texting.
1: (laughs) (laughs) We're stuck in the table there. Uh, Okay,
2: next question. Uh, Right here, and I'll come across the room. Well, I probably spend more time scrolling through Twitter so, like, just take a little bit of that time and put it to, uh, of, you know, FOIAing. But I don't know. You know, it really depends, because the, the actual sending of the request does not take very long. You know, it's like sending an email. It's really very simple. Um, sometimes there's research involved in advance of sending a FOIA, and that can take time. Um, a lot of times, like, reading through the documents, you get hundreds and hundreds of pages, and so it's very difficult to, like, read through them all. Um, but a lot of times what I'll do is like send them to sources who might be really knowledgeable about, about the particular topic and ask them what their thoughts are about it and if they not share them, if there's nothing good. you know. And then, like the lawsuits and all that. So I don't know, Like it's, it really depends on the week, but sometimes, like yesterday I spent maybe like a quarter of my day doing FOIA-related stuff. How much you pay annually? What did you say? How much did you pay? <laughs> For what? To give you results. To get results? Oh, question is and how much do it does it cost to get your results? Over the, over the of the year. Not almost not. I mean, I, there's like a monthly subscription to MuckRock, but besides that, nothing. Yeah. Uh, do you pay, have to pay to get the records? Usually not. Sometimes, like one time, I FOIAed for like a professor's email in Maryland, and they wanted to charge me like twelve thousand dollars. So obviously, I didn't get those documents. But usually, with federal FOIA, they don't charge you if you're a member of the news media. Okay. Uh, let's see. Right here. Um, i like to go to uh, Please identify yourself first.
1: Oh, can- Adam. Are members of Congress subject to FOIA? i one more
0: time?
1: The question is, uh, the, the questioner said she had attempted to interview a uh, congressman, member of Congress, was denied the interview, wants to know if uh, members of Congress are subject to FOIA. Uh,
0: no. <laughs> Congress, in its, in its infinite wisdom, does not uh, subject itself to. Uh, although there are there are some uh, some state legislatures, very uh, forward-thinking state legislatures, that have subjected themselves to their respective public records laws, uh, but uh, the the federal uh, Congress is not.
2: Okay. No. You, you, can FOIA, you can FOIA federal agencies for their communications with congressional offices. So that's a way to get some, some congressional stuff. Sure.
1: And state offices as well.
2: Let's see here.
1: Okay. So the question is, where do you find those pro bono attorneys to help you with FOIA requests? Well, I'd be
2: happy to... Well, uh, you can. some Like Yale, I think, has a clinic. I'd be happy to put you in touch with the lawyers I use in Chicago. They have a big practice. And maybe the reporters committee... Adam?
0: Yeah, yes, uh, call, call us. Um, you know, that's a, a lot of what we do. Although, you know, we do some litigation here, kind of in-house, um, for things that we, we can do, we will 100% try to help you find an attorney um, in your jurisdiction or, or wherever it is. Um, we know probably every media lawyer in the country uh, at this point. Uh, so we uh, we have a great Rolodex that so we can flip through and try to help you, you up with uh, with an attorney.
1: Okay. Can I follow up real quick? Uh, okay, sure. Uh, okay, so your question is uh, should you wait to contact them for when you're ready to file one or are you just having a trouble I have to do before I email? Oh, okay. Adam, any thoughts should they have their case already prepared or can they just talk to you first?
0: Um, we we certainly have journals come to us throughout all stages uh, okay. of the administrative uh, process. We really encourage journalists to do administrative appeals on their own. Um, we're big believers um, in that, that administrative uh, appeals shouldn't require an attorney, um, and we try to provide resources and help people to do that. Uh, there are some instances in which you know someone might come to us and we say, "This is really interesting. You know, we want to help you set it up uh, uh, correctly." Okay. So, um, and the the long and short of it is, uh, you can talk to us at any time. But we may uh, say, uh, you know, we think you can do this uh, this part (laughs) on your own own and come back
2: to us. I just can I say one thing? Okay, quick. I just have a little bit of a different experience with that. Like my the attorneys I've been working with, basically, like once they the interior interior department misses the deadline after twenty days, they're like they're just like let's sue them. So like I in a lot of the cases I sue over, I don't even ever appeal at all. I just usually like it's like three months out or four months out. If I haven't heard back, we'll sue them. Okay, right here.
1: Okay, so the question uh, to try to boil it down is: Is there a way that you can use the lack of a written policy to to pry the, open the interview request that you wanted? Um, I'd have to say probably not. We've at SEJ we've tried to get written policies uh, from the agencies on on communication with the media, and we were given one from the uh, Ruckelshaus administration at EPA. Uh, so they don't really uh, co- cooperate in that way. I, I, it, it may take political pressure. It may take legal pressure in order to sort of crack this thing, but and more publicity, perhaps. But, that, that, I mean, that would be my response. Anybody, anything different?
2: No. Okay, right here. What? what the question is, like, what, what um, is my system for keeping track of FOIAs and following up? One nice feature about MuckRock, and, and maybe foia is the same, is that they automatically follow up. So they'll just, after four weeks, they send an automated thing, like, uh, where's my FOIA and then in terms of to the agency, to the agency yeah um, and you know in terms of keeping track it's kind of tough because you know if you're foying compulsively and like you don't even really know all of the, you know you lose track of the one you did like last year but maybe like there's a story you're working on you know a year from now and you're like oh yeah I felt a FOIA about that like let's go see what happened there um, and also, one thing I meant to mention in the presentation is, like, if you, if you think you're going to be working on, a, like, a story next year, whatever it may be, like, f- file a FOIA now for that story, you know? Try, to, try it your best to think ahead about what you might be looking into, like, in six months or a year.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, one quick question here. How much time do you get between when you file it and when you get the answers?
2: A long time. That's why, that's why you have to sue. Yeah, like, months at least. Yeah, four
3: weeks to years. Yeah, years years, okay
1: uh here in the back no it's not and and I'm still not convinced that there is nothing in writing, but I think it's going to take a lot more sleuthing, but sh- sure I mean there's there you must have some unwritten rules in your newsroom, right? Everybody has unwritten rules, and I guess a lot of it is communicated verbally or in meetings, um, and so maybe there are people who are in the meetings who will recount what was said or it's done over a phone call but It is. That's the big challenge. So, uh, you know, uh, the question. I guess I should have repeated that first. Was you know, if there is no written rule, how do you deal with it? But I think that's the problem, is as it's unwritten, but it's still enforceable. Well, part of it is just the creeping uh, commercialization of public affairs and public relations. As the uh, minder for Mr. Pendley told me, she came over from private sector where every every business requires you to go through the public PR office. Uh, it didn't used to be that way in government, but it's crept all the way down to the local level. You're right, you're right. So, uh, um, in the Brechner Center report, there are some helpful clarifying yeah. like, questions
0: mm-hmm. um, that are uh, suggested uh, to be asked, um, and and some of them are are meant to kind of suss out. I think the issue you you're, uh, you've raised, which is, is there actually a policy, or is this just kind of understood? Uh, and what are, and, and so, you know, the first step is, is there a written policy yes, now, um, are there uh, consequences that would result from talking uh, to a reporter yes, no, and there's, you know, kind of like a tree that you go down to figure out whether there is actually a, uh, a legally permissible Uh, policy in place or not, so um, I encourage people to check out the end of uh,
1: that report. That's a potential Sunshine Week kind of project. I know my press association in Maryland did that one year where all the news organizations went around and went to uh, police departments and asked to see records. Uh, and uh, they, you know, and then they reported on what happened. In some cases, they were asked who they were, why they wanted them, which is not uh, appropriate under the law. Uh, and in some cases, they weren't given anything. So, I mean, that's a thought. Right here. We've got time for maybe just a couple more questions. Yep. That's a good question. The question is, is there uh, some sort of data on how state Public Records acts laws are implemented or carried out? Adam, have you all looked at that?
0: You mean, you mean in terms of like data the way that there is at the federal yeah. level? Yeah, right. Um, it's very very frustrating uh, there is there is not um, some some states are, are better than others. Um, you know some states have uh, uh, data portals where they will uh, or it's usually even um, more granular level like a, like a city like New York City has a really good uh, open uh, data portal that has in it um, you know information about how many foiL requests they give. Um, but it's very, very hard to track. I've actually spent a lot of time uh, sending records requests to agencies trying to figure out how many records requests they get uh, as part of a a ticket we were working on. And a lot of them didn't know. Sometimes it's a scrap of paper somewhere. Sometimes it's a spreadsheet. uh, Sometimes they just don't keep track. Um, So uh, it's a really vexing issue and and a pretty glaring hole in our understanding of of how these laws are working in practice.
1: Uh, I do know that in Maryland, uh, they passed a a reform of the Public Information Act and established an ombudsman, and they generate an annual report. But there's a lot of data that they don't check. Um, I have never been able to get a waiver from fees, for instance. And when I asked why I was never able to get a waiver, they said, we can't tell you. And when I asked, well, gee, have you ever granted a waiver, they said, we don't know. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question. Back here. You mean the, All right, so the question is, is there the likelihood that this could blow up
3: on you when people find out that you filed a FOIA? You mean within the agency
1: or competitors or what?
3: So probably the FOIA is going to be disseminated in the entire area where you're trying to get information so people will know, um, but try and protect your source, you know, so it doesn't identify your source.
0: I will say, I couldn't hear the question exactly, but just um, there have been leak prosecutions that have started based on FOIA requests. Um, so I think it's, it's important, yeah, if you're, uh, that's one kind of consequence um, where you may want to be perhaps a little less specific than you could be, you know, so in one instance where this happened, uh, FOIA request was made for the exact name of a very highly classified report. Um, and then I think the agency was like, that's interesting. How does the reporter know the name of this? very, very uh, top secret uh, report. So, yeah, just I to be a
1: little careful. Right, yep, and I neglected to repeat your question. It was, can you, can you cause trouble by being too specific in your FOIA request? Yep, okay, I think that's all the time we have. I wanna thank you, uh, I hope you'll thank the panel for, uh, for joining us, and thank you for a very good session.